Welcome everyone to the Design 101 podcast. My name is Amanda Gates and I own Gates Interior Design in Nashville, Tennessee. My company specializes in living a stylish and holistic life. My goal with this podcast is to celebrate all the blessings that we receive from a well-designed life. I hope to introduce you to inspirational people, teach you new ways to live better, and empower you to design your best life through intention. There are many ways to achieve balance and harmony in our lives, but it all starts at home. Join me each month to be inspired, transformed, and motivated to live your best life. Hello, hello everyone. Welcome to Design 101. I'm your host, Amanda, and today's guest is marketing maven, Sue Painter. Sue is driven to help women around the globe become better business owners. She not only offers coaching and mentorship, but has a proven track record as an intuitive strategist. As one of her clients puts it, Sue is a marketing therapist. Sue is a serial entrepreneur, as some may call it. Having successfully owned and operated two thriving businesses of her own, from the ground up, I might add, she knows what it takes to go from stuck to successful in months rather than years. Her background in running organizations, building businesses, and working on her own personal business growth has given many of her clients that profitable edge. She knows exactly what it takes for self-employed business owners to grow a business that matches their dreams, and she teaches them how to keep that passion alive even through tough times. Sue is a coach and mentor who teaches, encourages, supports, and challenges her clients to gain the necessary knowledge to understand business basics, plans, and overcoming mindsets so that they can stay focused on a profitable and thriving business of their own. Join me as I sit down with Sue today to discuss business intuition, marketing, mindset, and more. Hi, Sue. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you today. Thank you. I'm honored to be here, Amanda. Oh, good, good. Well, I'm so glad that we were finally able to connect and and get you on the podcast. Um, Before we uh, jump right into this and and tell the listeners about who you are, give us a little bit of background of how you came about to being a coach. Well, it's kind of an interesting thing for me. I actually was in the corporate world for a long time, and I knew that I had to bring in all of the money to run my part of um, the research organization. So I got really good at marketing. And then I went and um, opened a massage therapy clinic in a, in a medical building. And within about a year, we were booked out a year in advance. So people started asking me, how did, how did you do that? Service professionals started saying to me, how do you get your practice so full? And I started teaching that. And from that, back in 2005, The Confident Marketer was born. Wow. So what made you go kind of from the corporate world to opening up this uh, other practice? Oh, my goodness. Well, I'll try to make that a short story. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I never really, although I did very well in the corporate world, I really never was a great fit. And I was always... Uh, I was always very entrepreneurial. My grandmother was an entrepreneur and uh, my aunt was an entrepreneur and I always kind of wanted to have my own thing. But also I realized that the corporate world was really chewing people up and spitting them out. And what I noticed was that the only honorable way that people had to get out was to get sick. 
they couldn't just say they couldn't take it anymore and they wanted to quit because they had families to support. But if they got sick, that was their honorable way out. And that seemed so sad to me. And I decided I wanted to leave the corporate world and offer something that was health and healing and stress relieving. And that was massage. And I had a master's in rehab medicine, so I knew a lot about anatomy and physiology. And I knew a lot about health and healing. I just decided to leave the corporate world and go do my own thing because I was really more of an entrepreneur than I was the corporate weenie. I never did really love the eight to five routine. Yeah. And it's interesting because a lot of people that I talk to that are in alternative medicine and and the holistic realm, um, they do start out in the corporate world and it's like putting a square ball in in a, in a round hole. It's like, it just doesn't quite fit and doesn't work for them, but they go through the motions because they feel like they have to. Yeah. I mean, I learned a lot. I'm glad to have my time there. I don't regret it. I met a lot of great people I keep up with to this day. Some of them I've actually consulted back with them a little bit or or become one of their guides and coaches. But, um, you know, it just wasn't for me. I, I really love the responsibility of bringing my own money in the door and knowing that nobody can fire me but me. Mm, yeah, that's a that's a great tool for being an entrepreneur. Now, you're also responsible if you don't bring any money in. But... That's true. <laughs> The buck the buck stops here literally or starts here literally either way. <laughs> yeah. So when you had, uh, you had mentioned that you got your master's degree in basically healing and you had this background. Did you have that before you went into the corporate world, or were you getting that while you were going through the corporate world? No, I had that before. Um, I got a master's in uh, rehabilitation and worked in that field for a while. And then my husband and I were moving around a lot at the time because of his work. And I ended up um, taking a research position in in a corporation and, and kind of switched directions and went off into another direction and left the, re- the world of rehab. So, you know, I had that all in the can before I went off and kind of changed directions. Yeah. And I think that that's, it's important that people hear that because I think a lot of time I I, in fact I was just uh, on the phone with a gal today that I'm working with who um, has a pharmacology degree and so she's been a pharmacist for the last 15 years and she is starting to transition out of that and here she is a trained uh, professional in drugs basically and she doesn't believe in the synthetic drugs she feels like it's just treating the symptom and not the problem so she's she's having this tug of war with herself because she wants to teach people how to get off medication and treat things holistically. Yeah. Which would be great because gosh, she's got the background. Yeah. And that's what I told her. I I said, you know, wow, what a, what a terrific tool to um, have the education um, and that stamp of approval that you are a doctor that you can literally say, this is a better way to go. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? Yeah, Hmm. and it's interesting that I'm seeing a lot of people go this route, that they're bucking the system of how we were basically raised and brought up, like, you know, the American dream and how we were supposed to do it. It's A plus B plus C, and a lot of people are like, no, I want to do C, and then maybe I'll consider B, and A is out. I don't want to do that. Well, yeah, but, you know, don't you think, Amanda, that our culture has changed so much over the past 20 or 30 years? I mean... My parents were of the generation where you went to work and you worked for the same place for 20 or 30 years and you got your gold watch and you were out the door and there was all of this employee loyalty and there was also loyalty to the employee from the corporation, but that does not exist anymore. 
So, True. you know, you no, know, there is no job. That, I mean, to me, the safest job I can have is the one I create myself. Um, nobody can, hi- no, nobody can hire me. Nobody can fire me. Nobody can tell me that I can't have a raise. It's all up to me. You have much more freedom and much more opportunity working for yourself than for the average corporation anymore. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that um, the I was just, I've been reading um, the I think it's called the Alpha Male or the Alpha Pyramid. I should probably pay attention to what I'm reading, but um, it talks about the Alpha Model about how generations from basically after the Second World War, how it was this pyramid uh, in the corporate uh, sector about how the CEO was at the very top, and literally the people who were running the company were at the base of the pyramid. And the base at the pyramid never once ever knew who the CEO was or ever got the opportunity to meet them. And there was this level of hierarchy. Um, and like you said, there was also this level of loyalty. And people just trusted in the system. And just like our grandparents, they would just stay with the system. They were loyal to the system. I think of my grandfather who stayed with the same company for 35 years, lost two fingers, lost his hearing, lost the eyesight in one of his eyes. And yet he still stayed with the company, never sued them. I think it's changed tremendously since our grandparents went to uh, a corporate job. Oh, yeah, it has. There's no loyalty, in my view, from corporations to employees, and there's no loyalty from employees to corporations. You know, there's all kind of books that have been written about, you know, nation of one and you know that you you really are your own independent person and you have to develop your own brand even if you work for a corporation you have to develop your own brand because you're never going to know when they're going to be bought out and things are going to change and you know you're not going to have the opportunity for forward motion or you're going to be out on the street so it is really about developing you as a brand whether you work for yourself or not Mm, yeah I like that that's a that's a great view on it how has having that corporate background plus this um, more holistic alternative uh, background helped you kind of shape who you are as a brand and helping other entrepreneurs? Uh, you know, I think about that a lot. I know a fair number of people who do consulting and coaching to other small businesses, and many of them have never owned their own business. They don't know what it is to have to go out and bring money in the door. They don't know what it is to have to pay staff. They haven't had a brick-and-mortar business. I have all of that in my background. I know what it is to go walk the halls of a corporation and do a proposal for half a million dollars and win it, and I know what it is to do a proposal for half a million dollars and get shut down and lose it. And what and what do you do when that happens to you? So all of the time that I had owning my own business, the 14 years that I had the massage clinic and all the years that I spent in the corporate world, they really honed me to be able to be very flexible and adaptable and creative in how do you keep moving forward no matter what is thrown at you. And it's interesting. I was just having that conversation you know, Marnie Fierson and I do a, a live show every week called the Marnie and Sue Peep Show. It's an online business reality show. And we just uh, finished cutting that a few minutes ago for the week. And we were talking about what I call the ground of being, like what forms you as your ground that no matter what happens to you, you come back to that place and it steadies you and keeps you from being pulled off into awfulness or drama or whatever the case may be. And I think part of my ground of being 
is that I know how to play at a big level and I know also how to make things simple and at a human level and, you know, and, and set things up in a way that works for humans in the way they work. You know, no human really is wired to work from eight o'clock to five o'clock, 50 weeks a year, no matter what else is going on in their life. So I would never suppose that a person would create their own business with those kind of rules. So, you know, I just have all of that in me from what my life has been. And I think we all bring our life experiences to our work. If we consult with others like I do, then we bring that richness forward. And that just is a, a part of who we are. It's our ground of being. I love that. And I think that that's something that I'm <clears throat> excuse me, seeing more and more in people is that really questioning those rules and questioning the why. And I know that I've gone through that, a lot of that just myself, um, probably more on an intuitive level, but really trying to, because I also had um, a little bit of a, a background in corporate before I went into design, but just really trying to take the mold of what I thought a business looked like and was supposed to be ran and trying to force that into my own business and it wasn't working. And even though it didn't feel right, I was still trying to bring in that, you know, eight to five or nine to five model and, you know, Monday through Friday and that sort of thing. And I, I think I, I, at the end of the day, I felt guilty because yeah. I wasn't doing it the way I was supposed to. Yeah. And uh, I finally came to the realization is this is my business. I'm the boss. I can do this however I want to. And I don't need to make, you know, an excuse or a reason behind it. It's because this is how it works best for me. Yeah. I, I get those questions a lot from clients. I remember I was um, one of the last live events I went to where I was teaching for Allie. I, we got a question from the audience and she was asking you know, should I do this, should I do that, should, down to the like nth degree of detail. And I thought about that for a while, and finally I said to her from the stage, you know, you own your own business, and you get to be the boss of you. You don't really need to ask me, should I be at my desk at 9 o'clock every morning, and gee, is it okay to take a lunch break at 1 o'clock? It's like we have been, we grow our children in such a culture that they're very rule-bound, and then when they don't have rules, they don't know what to do. And that, I don't think that's healthy for us. I think we need to develop independent thinking. And that, I mean, independent thinking is what got this country founded and great. And so when we have people who want their lives to be determined by other people's rules, we have a real problem on our hands. And I see that sometimes in the entrepreneurs that I work with because it's all they've ever known. Yeah, we're programmed. Yeah, we're programmed. And I don't think that it has served us well. No, and, and it's interesting. Um, I I did a podcast with um, Melissa Kitto a couple of years ago, and we talked about how she used to teach um, school children in the UK for many, many years. And when she came over to the States, she tried and only made it one year in, in teaching children here. And she said she just couldn't believe how black and white our educational system was and how structured and rigid it was. And how it really lacked creativity. Yeah. And I thought, isn't that interesting that we do from our youth until 18 years of age and then on into college? We are. We literally are programmed to somebody else's rules and structure. Yeah, but that doesn't teach us how to solve problems. And I, I mean, I know Melissa as well. And I, I, mean, I love her to death. I think she's got a lot of um, 
really um, wise knowledge, as her husband, Richard, also does, who also was a teacher for many years, you know, we need to be able to teach people how to think about things creatively and how to manage projects when they have to make up some of the rules themselves. And if we don't do that, then we hurt as a society and as a culture. And I think we're reaping the benefits of that now. So, or the disadvantages, I guess I should say. I mean, I'm saying that sarcastically. So we do need to teach folks how to think and how to be creative. And on the other hand, we need to teach discipline and we need to teach self-responsibility. It's very interesting to me how we've set up our educational systems and how we are parenting, too. And I never say much about that because I'm not a parent. I always get that thrown back in my face. Or what do you know? You're not a mom. <laughs> But, you know, I know a lot because I've watched kids a lot. And for a very short period of time before I got my master's degree, I taught. And that was when schools were a little bit different than they are now. But you know, it's interesting to me that in other cultures, I spent some time in Bali. In Bali, there is no ADHD. Mm, they don't have it. Their kids grow up from such an early age being indoors and outdoors and active and very creative. And always in, in Bali, you are... Besides, besides the family you're in, you are also an artist of some kind. You're either a silversmith or a singer or a dancer or a musician. And, you know, they, they look at kids who come from our culture who throw tantrums on the ground and who can't sit still for five minutes, and they actually think that that kid, that there's something deathly wrong with that kid. So, I, you know, I think a lot of that, we've created it with our own parenting and with our own school system. And I know that for many people that's not a popular opinion, but we don't have such high degrees of that in other cultures. Yeah, I would agree. I, I too don't have children, but I have many clients that do. And I was very surprised to find I'm working with uh, a couple who are both attorneys and both of their girls are under the age of five and when they both um, they're currently in first grade but when they go into second grade they are required to both have iPads and they are eliminating books from their wow. school system yeah I know. and that just breaks my heart because you know the the whole idea of, of holding a book in your hand and flipping back and forth from the pages and you know, when you read something, if it if you have a profound moment from reading something, being able to easily go back and refer back to it, I think a lot of that's going to get lost. And just the, you know, staring down at a screen and not getting, you know, I don't know, that just really bothers me. I agree with what you're saying. Yeah, no, it took me a long time to convert over to Kindle. And I still don't read all my books on Kindle. But just for purposes of travel, it sure is great. But you know, I'm, I'm the same way. I'm a crafter. I do scrapbooking and card making and, and painting, and I have for years. And a lot of people tell me, why don't you get rid of all that stuff and just digi-scrap? And I'm like, you know what? I sit in front of a computer all day long. That's my business. I'm an online marketer. I don't want to, at night, for, for hobby, sit in front of another computer and scrap. I want to, like, have the paper in my hand and have the art in my hand and, you know, have the glitter in my hand and have the paint in my hand. I want that tactile yeah. You know, I want that tactile feel. I don't want to spend my whole life in front of a computer screen. Well, and it really isn't um, good for our energy systems. You know, I yeah. mean, we do have subtle energies that are all around us, and being in front of electronics and around them all day zaps us. Yeah. So it makes sense to get away from that, maybe go for a walk outside um, and kind of recharging. And I love the idea of, I have coloring books. Um, 
it sounds so silly, but like I've got big thick coloring books that are meant for kindergartens, but sometimes I will just go and I will just color just to like get out of my own way and get out of my own head so I can yeah. just make stuff pretty with crayons. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know people who have those coloring books that are very detailed. I mean, they're for, they're for adults. A kid couldn't stay in the lines, but they're like very detailed old masters paintings. And then they use colored pencils and they color them in and they do it just as a, almost as a meditation. They do it just as a way to kind of get out of themselves and do something that is completely in the moment and completely experiential. And actually that turns on your creativity. I mean, you, you, you know, you're a designer, you know that if I get stuck and I go out and take a walk or I sit and play with my card making stuff for a while, usually some idea comes to me and then I'm like, Oh yeah, I could do that. And then go back to my computer and get it done. Yeah. I think that's, that's, and that was going to be one of my next questions for you is, as entrepreneurs, what does it really take for us to be successful? What is it, in your opinion, that really makes a, a good, uh, successful entrepreneur? It's, I think a lot of people think that when you are your own boss, you do have to work 80 hours a week and you're working seven days a week and, um, you know, it's just this insanity. But what does it really take to be a successful entre- entrepreneur? Yeah, well, it's interesting you say that. I had dinner with somebody who's an old friend of mine who has a very high corporate level job um, for a major pharmaceutical company. And, you know, she makes the good buck and she travels all over the country. And let me tell you, she's the one doing the 70 hour work week, (laughs) not me. (laughs) So, So that happens in the corporate world as well. You know, for me, it really boils down to when I work with somebody or when I meet them and they ask if they can work with me. Um, you know, I have an application process and I, I want to work with people who are serious about their business because it is serious when you own your business, you know, you're putting it out there every day and you're going to invest your time and your money and you, you want to, you, you want to have a return on your investment, but you can learn a lot of the skills that you need to be an, an entrepreneur, but you need that ground of being that we were talking about before. And really what you need is consistency and commitment. I tell people all the time, look at I am no smarter than you. I am no better educated than you. I work harder and more consistently than you do, maybe. And I'm not saying by working harder, I don't mean 70 and 80 hour work weeks. I mean consistently dedicated to, you know, however many hours a day that you're going to put in your business that you're going to be there. And you don't make excuses. If you feel sick, too bad you do it. If you have a sick kid, you give it to somebody else to handle because you've got a business to run. So I think a lot of entrepreneurs say they want their own business, but they don't see themselves as business owners and leaders. You've got to be able to see yourself as a business owner and a leader. You are modeling for others what your business is about. And it is serious. But it doesn't have to be a 60, 70, 80-hour work week. I work really hard when I work, and I play really hard when I play. And I really never turn it off. And I don't think entrepreneurs do that, actually. I don't like this stuff about, well, your life should be balanced, and you know, for four hours a day you should be in the gym or ever what. I don't believe we actually ever turn off if we're true entrepreneurs. I might get my best idea at 2.30 in the morning and and I might bolt out of bed and go sit (laughs) at my computer and work at it for half an hour and then go back to bed. It turns on when it turns on. Sometimes Bill and I get an idea to start a new business when we're laying around on the beach because we are out of our element and we are relaxed and that's when creativity flows. So I talk about a blended life rather than a balanced life. 
I've made deals. I literally once was in the bathroom in a corporation and a lady came in and said to me when I was in the stall, we would like you to do a proposal to come in and teach uh, customer service to our professionals. Would you be interested? And I said from the other end of the stall, yeah, I would. And she she threw under the edge, the bottom edge of oh, the stall Lord. a proposal and said, oh, great, I'm in a hurry. Can you sign this? So, I mean, like I signed and then I flushed. I mean, you never know when these <laughs> opportunities are going to come. So you can't say, I'm going to have a balanced life. And from these hours, I'm not going to think about or I'm not going to do anything about business. When you own your own business, you know as well as I do, if it was 1030 at night and you were in the middle of a movie and somebody called you and you recognized the number and you decided to pick up and they said, look, Amanda, I've got a new piece of work for you. And, you know, it's a half a million dollar redo. I don't believe you're going to say, well, I'm sorry. I'm not going to talk about it right now. Call me back for nine o'clock in the morning. You, you know, you're going to take that conversation. Yeah. Well, I and I think the what you said about just not only making your own rules, but really getting clear and consistent. That was probably my biggest aha. And it's funny because I had been told that for many years, but I am very right brain. I'm not left brain. So the organization side isn't as crisp for me, Mm -hmm. but I, one of the best things I had a business manager when I still had my retail store and she was one of the best business managers that I had ever had. Like her and I kind of butted heads for about the first six months that she was there because she would tell me something and I would be like, yeah, 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 yeah. And I would forget all about it. And she realized she had an aha moment. She's like, okay, wait a minute. She's a creative. She's a right brain. If I can get through to her and speak her language, I will, you know, she'll be able to understand this. And she came up with a color coded system. And as soon as she did that, it registered with me. I got it. I understood it. And I still to this day use it. Yep. So because she was able to get it into my language, I think that, you know, it, it, it's what James Roche always talks about with that 15 degree shift. That was like my aha moment. I was like, oh my gosh, why haven't I been doing this? I love all these pretty colors. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> this totally speaks my language, but it helped me to stay focused. So, and I still do it to this day to where like first thing in the morning, I focus on my marketing. And then after that, I work on client projects. And then after that, I'll spend an hour on like admin and then business management. And I literally color code out my day. And then the entire system of the business, all of the folders are color coded for those different associations in the business. And so as soon as Deborah had that aha moment, it was like, it's like angels were singing and everything came together. <laughs> yeah, and I, it's great that she did that because you're right. You know, creative folks tend not to really want to have to pay a lot of attention to the back end of their business. And they have to or they won't ever get the kind of income that they want to sustain them to allow them to spend their time being creative. So it is that whole thing of discipline and focus and commitment. You know, I'll work at something forever trying to figure it out because I'm stubborn and because I know that I want to learn that task. It's not that I'm smarter at it or better at it. It's that I'm consistent and committed. If you're consistent and committed, you can do almost anything. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I I would add that as an entrepreneur, because I have been there and I have worked, you know, as an entrepreneur, you do work every single day, all hours of the day, whenever that moment hits you. 
I do have to say that one of the things after I went through my divorce, the big thing for me was is that I really started honoring what I call my non-negotiables. I had things that were important in my life like going to yoga and my non-negotiables were always my first thing that I would give up for a client because they needed me right then, right there. And even though it was at a time that I had slotted for myself, I would immediately give that up to please them or make them happy. To create that blended life for myself, that was when I decided, okay, these are now my non-negotiables. If I have a, like for example, my clients now know that if I have a, 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 if it's a particular day, they know what time I go to yoga. And during that time, I don't care if your house is burning down, I'm not available. But after that, I will give you all of my time and attention. Yeah. And I think we all have, I mean, that's, you know, that's really, it. that's more about boundary setting than anything else. You can certainly be entrepreneurial and not be available at certain times that are sacrosanct to you. I've had to do that really a lot over the last few years because I've had to spend a portion of every single day almost in physical therapy. And so those times for me, you know, I'm not going to spend a lot of my time and effort trying to move those times around during the day to accommodate clients. In fact, that is of prime importance to me so that I can remain mobile. So therefore, that means that those times are sacrosanct and I don't put client time, you know, I want to make sure that I have plenty of time to get there and plenty of time to get back and get a drink of water and kind of get rested before I start my day. So I think we all have those things and that's just boundary setting and that's respectful. Nobody else is, I used to tell people all the time until you respect your time and you respect your money. No, don't ask anybody else to respect it. Mm, it's very, very true. So you primarily work with women. What are some of the biggest obstacles you see with women and, and being an entrepreneur? Yeah. Well, this will be very controversial, but I see a number <laughs> of when I don't count, I mean, that's just the way it is. I, I see, I, I have seen not everyone by any stretch of the imagination, but I have seen some women use their children as an excuse. Hmm. And by that, I mean, they will tell you they're always going to put their child first, but really it comes down to they're using their child as an excuse because they really haven't done the work they said they were going to do that week anyway. So it becomes, well, you know, Joey had a stub toe or Joey was upset or Joey needed brownies or Joey did this or Joey did that. Some of which is worthy of your attention. Some of which your nanny or your husband or whoever could help you do. If you're going to own a business, you're going to have to have a backup for childcare anyway. Some of which, I mean, I had a lady once and she canceled, she wanted to cancel five appointments in a row because she really on Tuesday mornings, which is when she had, when she had first agreed to meet, decided that she on Tuesday mornings, for whatever reason, had to bake brownies and take them to her kid's school every Tuesday morning at the very exact time that she had said she wanted to meet with me. And after about the third or fourth time, I said to her, you know, look, what is your child going to remember more? That you were a successful businesswoman and you knew how to bring in six figures a year or that you baked brownies every Tuesday? You've got to think about the short term and you've got to think about the long term. What are you modeling for your child? If you're modeling for your child, well, what I really am trying to achieve in life doesn't matter. My world revolves around you then they're going to pass that on to their children and they're going to act that way when they're an adult. And that's not a good way to act as an adult. 
if you model to your child, you and I can back bake brownies all day long on Saturday, and I love baking brownies with you. But you know what? On Tuesday mornings, mom has to go to work, and I'm going to model for you how to be a successful, independent businesswoman. Then that, to me, is worth five bazillion pans of brownies. I see people who use, and not only children, they use elderly mothers, they use sick husbands, they use, everything comes first before their business. But do you feel like that's maybe fear or procrastination trying to create an excuse because yeah. they're not ready to step up? Yeah, exactly. exactly. It's, it's yeah. exactly what it is. And you can't, you know, you can work your business sometime, but you have to work your business every time. You can't just constantly let everything else get in the way. And I've just known some people who you know, it, it really minor things for their kids. It could have waited half an hour. They don't have to constantly be, you know, with electronic devices now where there's like the umbilical cord never gets cut. And that's not healthy. It's not healthy for the kid. Actually, in most of those cases, it's more that whole phenomenon that you read about in the press about helicopter parents. Yeah. <laughs> that's more about the parents who can't let go than the kids. The kids are dying to let go. Every child as a part of their development wants to be Come independent and step away from their parents. And, you know, that process goes on as we age from the age of two or three on up, right? So, you know, parent over that overindulgent parenting is really more about keeping the mom and the dad. And sometimes the grandparents, they don't have to face the empty nest syndrome. They don't have to face that this child they love so much is going to detach. So they just keep over involved. And then, of course, they don't work their business. And it's not my business really at all, other than if they come to me and they never get anything done, and I start to see, well, they really use that as their excuse. They don't, and they don't see themselves as a business owner or as a leader hmm. or as a model for their kid. They think modeling, they think that being there always, constantly, every day, no matter what for their kid, is what they want to model. But the truth is, that's not a healthy model, in my opinion. So what I do feel like women have a lot more self-limiting beliefs about themselves and yeah. they define themselves many women through mothers or, or being a mother how do they what is because you have been a coach for so many years and you've worked with so many women what are some tips or tricks that you can offer to women who might be listening to overcome those fears and that procrastination and to basically buck up and quit making the excuses so that this hobby of theirs can turn into a successful business. Yeah, I, I think it is a matter, I mean, sometimes I say, you know, think really hard about what is it do you want to teach your child? Do you want your child to remember you as a woman who really started a business and made it successful and you were able to pay for their college education? Then you're going to have to step up because you're not going to have the money to pay for that college education if you don't get going. If you, you know, it depends on what you want to model for your child. Well, and that that's an a, important thing that you just brought up because a lot of what I do, I've really incorporated the study of feng shui and what I do in energy oh, yeah. and mm -hmm. predominantly a lot of the work that I do is in um the county that I live in is families and um, I see many of them living paycheck to paycheck. They're living way above their means and yeah. they don't have college funds set up. They don't have a savings account. And so they're highly stressed out because of this. And 
mom is trying to, you know, make jewelry or do something for extra income. Um, so I always think about them and trying to take it to that next step. And, and I see so many of them fail. So I'm, I always wonder what it is that they're missing or what well, they're... They're, they're missing consistent action. More than likely, they're missing consistent action. They'll buy all the stuff and make the jewelry, but then if something else comes up, they'll go and do this. They got to be consistent about it, and they're missing probably knowing some marketing tools. You know, some basic marketing tools because you've got to be just as good. You, you've got if you are not if you're going to own a business, you are magical at what you do, and you have to be magical at marketing. If you're not willing to be masterful at marketing, and you know, Ali has said that for years you are not going to be successful in business. When I was a massage therapist, <clears throat> you know, I had very good hands. I read energy, I had very good hands. Okay, it didn't matter. If I wasn't able to go out and market myself, it didn't matter if I had the best hands in the whole wide world. It didn't matter if I could have, you know, made somebody's back that was painful be unpainful in 20 minutes. It didn't matter if nobody knew about me. That's right. I had to market it. People think they're going to open a business like making jewelry or baking cakes or doing cupcakes or being a massage therapist or ever what it is, and the world's going to be a path to their door. The world will not be the path to your door. You have to create that path, and that takes work, and it takes consistent action, and it takes knowing that you're going to do it and do it and do it and do it for probably six months before you actually start to reap the benefits of it. I tell people all the time, what you do right now today, <clears throat> you're going to reap the benefits in six months. So if you're laying back all summer long because your kids are out of school, don't be griping to me when November and December comes and you don't have any business. Because six months prior, you were laying up. Yeah. You know, take your time with your kids, but be consistent about marketing over the summer because in October and November, that's when you're reaping the, the benefits of what you did four or five months before. It takes a three to six month roll. And so you're going to do that with no result for a while. And if you are not committed and don't have consistent action, week two, you don't have any benefit and you'll say, oh, well, that didn't work. And you'll fold your tent and go home. <laughs> When you might have just been on the very edge of making a huge sale. Well, and, and buying habits have changed. Oh, yeah. Drastically. I mean, you have to be in front of someone, like, what, 15 times? Yeah. For them to actually come to a commitment. And, like, with what I do, because it's a, it's a higher investment, I mean, I've had people literally call me two years later Sure. After they saw me at a show house or they met me through yeah. someone or they had done a little bit of research. I mean, you know, people really think now yeah. about the investment and if you're worth it. That's exactly right. It's certainly for things like you deal in, you know, for home furnishings and decor and things like that. First of all, they're at a higher price point. And second of all, people have less discretionary income. So, yeah, for sure. But even in the things that I do, I mean, I, I was talking to one of my own coaches about that the other day you know my list is eight nine years old I have had people on my list for six and seven years have never spent a dime with me and all of a sudden one day I'll make another offer and they'll call up and say I, I want to work with you I, I've, I've known you for five or six years now and I've followed you and I've read your e-zines and you know I, I want to go ahead and and work with you now I can't I have to have that consistent action the thing that I, I mean, it's not, it's, it's, I don't laugh about it, but in a way it gives me, it gives me a chuckle because I'll, I'll have a new business owner say, we made an offer, we tried that, and it didn't work. <laughs> 
And I'm like, well, how many times did you make the offer? Well, once. So my rule of thumb with clients is don't tell me that your idea is bad until you've tried it seven different times in seven different ways. Yeah, and sometimes you, all you do is tweak the copy. Yeah, you say it a exactly. little bit differently and it, it, it hits the, the nail exactly. on the head. So try it seven different ways, at least seven times, and if none of those work, I will entertain the conversation that it's a bad idea. Yeah, but not until then. So tell us a little bit. You have two different websites. You've got suepainter.com and then, of course, The Confident Marketer. Tell us a little bit about them and, and why you have two different ones. What do they offer? Yeah, um, I don't know if I'm going to keep two different ones, actually, but <laughs> um, I've had The Confident Marketer forever. Confidentmarketer.com is you know where I do the bulk of my work in business consultation and coaching. And back a few years ago, I decided that I wanted to establish suepainter.com because I actually wanted to talk about these soft skills, these things about the ground of being, these things about consistency and stepping up to be the leader of your life. And at the time, the online marketplace was a little bit different, and people didn't want to hear about that soft skill stuff. All they really wanted was the business tools. So I said, all right, fine, Confident Market will be the business tools, and Sue Painter will be the writing and the speaking and the standing up and saying, be the leader of your life and show your child how to be a leader. We need leaders so badly in this culture and in the world. Let's teach each other how to be leaders. Let's teach your children how to be leaders. And so I, I separated them. Well, now all the soft skills are coming back to roost within the business world because guess what? They have finally realized they can't be successful in business unless they have the leadership and the consistent action and the ethics and the, you know, management skills and all of those things that you and I have been talking about today. So really, in a way, I could probably blend them together more now. But back when I started, when I separated them out, I really couldn't. I mean, the rule of thumb then in internet marketing was like, or online marketing was like, nobody's going to pay you to teach them the soft skills. You have to teach them the business skills. And if you teach them some soft skills while you're teaching them the business skills, well, that's fine. You just kind of work it in. But actually, my interest is really that grant. How do you stay consistent no matter what? How do you keep your business going no matter what? How do you show up? as the person you want to be in the world no matter what. And how then learning the business tools becomes easier because guess what? You'll actually implement them because you have a ground from which to implement. I love that. I think that's a great idea. I like so whether that. you know whether I'll keep two webs, I probably will always keep suepainter.com just because I think it's great to have a website with your own name. And in fact more people teach search for me on the internet through my name than through my business name. Um, for whatever reason. So, you know, I'll probably keep them both, but actually what I do, the work of it will probably kind of merge together. So if you were, which we talked about consistency and, and the mistakes that people make and, you know, trying an offer several different ways to Sunday, but if you were to give some tips on marketing for some of the listeners today, what are some things that they can do if they're just starting out or if they've tried things that don't work? What are some um, ways of advertising that work well? Yeah, it depends a little bit upon the business that you're in, whether you want to have a local effect or whether you want to market across the Internet. Um, the way that I think about a person's business is even if they consider them, I consider any business to be an international business. Uh, 
because if you've got a website, you've got an international reach, even if you are a local business that delivers pizzas. And a great example of that is, you know, I had the website for uh, Touch Therapy Center, my massage business, for many years. One of my best customers never did not live in the town where we practiced and never I never met that person. She was one of my best, highest paying customers. How is that so, you might ask? Well, she had a lot of good friends in the town where I lived at the time. And every year she wanted to give them gift certificates for massage. And she looked me up, found my website. And every year in November, she would call and order $1,000 worth of gift certificates. Wow. She did that every year for eight years. She was $8,000 customer. I never met her. I never saw her face. I still remember her name. She was a great customer. So you, your business has an international reach, whether you think it does or not. You don't even know. And plus, those people she gave the gift certificates to, in turn, became paying customers on their own and told other local people about me. So really, her reach, I think I tried to figure it up one day, and there were like 58 people who were on our massage therapy list, either Just directly or indirectly from her. Wow. And, she, and, and I'd never met her. Still to this day, I've never met her. What a great lesson, though. So, you know, that, so you never know. Your business has an international reach. So think about yourself globally. And then, you know, think about what it is that you can do to tell the story of your business and get people interested in you as a person. You don't have to spend a lot of money. I don't really spend much money advertising at all. I never have. Word of mouth marketing is the best marketing you'll ever have. And how you get that is you do your very best work with every single customer or client who comes in the door. And word of mouth will start rolling in because many businesses have horrible customer service. Mm -hmm. If you stand out, you're going to get more business. It's amazing, right? To think, oh, well, you just need to be nice to people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And thank people, you know, thank people. I mean, I used to send a thank you note to every single brand new massage client that we had. And they would call me up. They'd be like, well, I've never even had a, a massage therapist call me up or send me a note and thank me for becoming a client. I just am amazed that you did this. Like little tiny things like that, you know, extend yourself to people. So I like to say find ways that work for you to market. If you're a good speaker, you know, speak to little groups about what you do. If you're a good writer, blog or get some articles published in the local press. You know, if you, um, you know, if you're a good networker, join a couple of networking groups, just one or two and become really active in them. Don't go to seven or eight where you really, you're too scattered in your effect. You know, narrow it down to two or three things that you're really good at and do those consistently every single day, every single week, three times a week, whatever your schedule is. Mm, I think those are great tips, Sue. One last thing before I let you off the hook here. I want to talk about your, you just became a best-selling author, uh, which I'm so excited for you. I think Thank this you. is fantastic. Congratulations. Thank you. How did you come about writing your latest book, How to Get More Clients and Help More People? Um, okay, well... I did a webinar back about two years ago, and then I repeated it last year. And it was a webinar about um, really creative people who have bright, shiny energy and how most of them don't have a very big client list and struggle with making money. And so the webinar was all about the content that I developed was 
how do you know, first of all, if you have what I call bright, shiny energy syndrome, which means people are drawn to you and love you, but they won't pay you. <laughs> they, they love you. They love you to death and they love everything you offer and they love it when it's for free, but they won't pay you. That's one symptom of having a bright, shiny energy, what I call bright, shiny energy syndrome. So I taught this material about how do you create a business? How do you get more clients and help more people and yet make money? Because after all, you have to eat, right? You have to pay your bills. And it was very successful. Those webinars were some of the most successful webinars I ever taught. So I finally decided I needed to take that content and turn that content into a book and add some worksheets and some things into the book. And I did that. So the name of the book is, it's a Kindle book, it's an ebook, How to Help More Clients, or no, How to Get More Clients and Help More People a guide for energy workers and other transformational business owners. And it talks about, first of all, do you have bright, shiny energy? How do you know you do? If you do, then here's the mistakes you're probably making in business. If you do, here's why people are attracted to you and here's why they don't buy for you. Here's what you can do about that. Here's how you need to structure your business. And it helps people then turn their businesses around because we need those transformational people, right? I mean, we need the creatives and the energy workers. We need those. We need the gift they have to offer. But we also, they have to have a business. They can't do it for free. They have to eat. And often they do give it away for free. I mean, well, I have yeah. so many friends that are Reiki masters and energy healers and acupuncturists and they are highly skilled individuals. And like you said earlier, you know, they open the door and they just think people are going to show up. Right. Um, and th they do find it hard to um, either charge, to ask for money for what they do because they feel like, well, it comes so easily or it's a gift and I need to give it away. Mm. Or um, they don't know how to market it properly. So they have this wonderful gift, but their phone isn't ringing. Right. Well, this book is for them. And I really love working with those kind of folks because I also have bright, shiny energy syndrome. One of my first teachers years and years ago said, you know, I could sit you in the middle of a park and just sit, let you sit on a bench all day and you would never say a word to anyone. And by the end of the day, every single person who needed uh, an uplift in their energy would be sitting at your feet. They would just be attracted to you. And you're going to have to learn how to manage that energy or you're going to be very busy and very broke. And he was right. I had to learn how to do that. And that brings up a good point. I mean, you are um, very intuitive. You are very in tune to energy and energy around you. And you work with energy. How have you used that in your business to help you be successful and, and be profitable? A lot of different ways. It's very easy for me to read clients. Um, I have an application process that people go through. I can in probably less than two minutes, read a person's energy and know if they're committed to doing the work and if they really want to be a success or if they're just kind of messing around as a hobbyist. And I don't work with hobbyists because I want to work with people who want to be successful. So I can read people's energy. I can also sometimes, though, when I'm working with somebody, like I had a gal today who she's a great implementer and she has really moved her business forward. And I could tell when we got on the phone you know, she, her energy was not as her energy typically is. It was very easy for me to read what the situation was and to help her kind of reframe it and kind of pull her energy back to her ground of being that we were talking about earlier. She'd kind of gotten off her ground a little bit. So it's easy for me to see that. 
and kind of help people get back to their solid ground and give them permission to say to themselves, okay, I slipped up a little bit. I, I got pulled into this drama or whatever the situation is, and now I'm back to being me. And I'm, now I can move forward again. So I'm really, really good at figuring out stuck places and helping people get, get themselves out of that stuck box. And I use those energy reading intuitive skills to do that. And I think that's important. I think a lot of people think that they don't have that. They might not have it to the level of, say, what you have, but just really honoring and trusting your gut on things and oh, yeah. going to that quiet space so that you can actually hear things and, and get back to that being so that you can become centered and grounded because you need that in order to run a business. You have to. You absolutely have to. I taught for a while a class. I think I've thought about offering it again. Um, how to, um, how I taught visionary leadership skills, how to be a visionary, how to use your own intuitive skills for your business. I think that's critical. If you talk to any multimillionaire business owner, they will tell you that they really built their business. They know their numbers, but they also use their gut. They trust their gut. Yeah. John C. Maxwell talks about that quite a bit. Yes. Leadership. Yep. Yes. And so we all have to learn to trust our gut and, Lots of people don't trust it, so I like to teach. That's part of that SuePainter.com thing I was talking about earlier. I mean, I like that visionary skill stuff, and a lot of people are like, oh, that's too soft. Nobody will buy it, but actually I think people really are tuned into that and need that now. Oh, more than ever right now. I'm seeing yeah. a huge shift in just consciousness and, and what people are looking for and um, mindfulness is becoming mm-hmm. um, extremely more more people are, are um, accepting it I should say yeah exactly and uh, open to the idea of different modalities yeah just like for you probably when you first started doing feng shui people were kind of like well what is that and I bet now most people even if they don't are not familiar with it specifically they at least know what it is they're probably more open to it than they were five or ten years ago oh when i moved to to nashville i i had been working and certified in feng shui for many years when i worked in california and when i came here in 2005 i realized i was not going to be able to eat or pay bills if i continued my feng shui practice because nobody knew what it was yeah and i didn't have the ability to spend a year educating people I needed to make money so I just dropped the feng shui and and just went right into interior design and at the time the economy was booming so interior design more than fed me and and paid my bills and so I just dropped out of it but it's and I'm seeing a lot of people shift in this direction but people need more right now it's it's not Mm -hmm. enough to just you know show up at your job and put in your hours and go home there people want to be fulfilled so the feng shui has really done that for me, and I feel like I kind of like started out at at the the starting line, and somehow it did a complete you know 180 and came right back to where I started. I just had to go through all the motions for a couple of years and get lost. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's it's definitely. Um, I was just talking to a woman this morning that called, and um, she is an OBGYN, and she's like, you know, I've been searching for an interior designer, and um, the idea of someone just putting a bunch of crap in my house just doesn't work for me. I need more. And she said, you're the only one that really stood out 
um, and you gave a reason why you put things in the home and, and a reason for, you know, why we need this sense of being in our home. And I was like, oh, you know, I've been, I've been building this for a year. So what you were talking about with the marketing taking six months, I'm now into this a year of just straight education. Yeah. So it's just now starting to pay off and I'm just now starting to reap the rewards of what I started this time last year. Yeah, but now you are starting to see it. And in fact, you're helping those people in their home support their ground of being through your design. Yes, and helping them. It's its all about, I, I call it balance, harmony, and home. And, and in order to be able to go out and kick ass in the world, you have to have that space of being centered and your home is it. It's where it starts. Yeah, sure. Well, Sue, I'm sure that there's probably uh, many listeners who would like to find out more about you or get in touch with you. How can people find you? You know, you can always contact me at sue at confidentmarketer.com or go to my website, which is confidentmarketer.com. And there you can leave your name and your email address. You'll see a little opt-in box on the front page there. And you can get on my newsletter list and... um, you know, get, read my blog post. I've got years and years of blog posts on there. You can browse through there and see what might be helpful to you. So those are the main two ways. I would highly recommend the, um, the newsletter and the blog. I've gone to your site many times and, and stalked you. So I would say that those are two (laughs) excellent places to start. So, well, thank you, Sue, for being on the show today. I am so glad that we finally had a chance to talk and I really appreciate you taking the time to be on today. Oh, sure. No problem. Thank you. We'll talk soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. As John C. Maxwell often says, leadership is developed daily, not in a day. So whether you're an entrepreneur or employee for corporate America, it is your job to develop you. How can you become more flexible, adaptable, and creative? Everything we do in life requires discipline, focus, and consistency if we want to see results. Will you fail? Absolutely. But as Sue said, you have to work your business every time, not some of the time. I want to thank you for listening today. I'm your host, Amanda, and I hope you've had a great time during this podcast, just like I have. If you would like more information on this show or have questions or comments, email me at info at gatesinteriordesign.com. You can also visit my website, gatesinteriordesign.com, or find me on Twitter at the Amanda Gates. Bye for now.